Hi, welcome to the Honest to Goodness podcast. I'm Janet Jacks, the founder of Goodness Me Natural Food Markets and the author of Discover the Power of Food. And I'm her daughter, Emily, a healthy mom and food lover seeking balance in this crazy life. So here we are on Honest to Goodness, two women, two generations, talking about life and wellness and the challenges we face and giving you a glimpse into the ways that we tackle the challenges of living as healthy as possible. So Emily, it's been a slow spring. I mean, we have little bursts of good weather and then cold, rainy weather again. Has your diet changed seasonally this spring? Have you noticed any changes in the way you're preparing food and cooking and shopping since the spring is taking so long? Yes, I I feel like I have definitely made changes and it's not even a purposeful thing. It's just a natural thing or a natural inclination towards exciting new things. I always feel like every time the season changes, I get excited about the foods I'll be eating for that season. So, you know, when fall comes around, I'm really excited to make soups and stews and cozy foods. But when the the spring, summer weather, you get those summery days, it's exciting to have like barbecued foods or lots of fresh, more raw foods. So definitely an increase in salads and even just cut up raw veggies, simple things, things that are easy to eat outdoors when possible. But I feel like my cooking is blended because I'm still kind of transitioning. So there's still those days with like the roast chicken dinners and, you know, like a warm bowl of chili, things like that. But with all that said, I also feel like it's a good time for me to kind of reevaluate how I'm eating. It's easy to slip into easy patterns with what I would consider like more addictive types of foods that create kind of unhealthy eating habits and not unhealthy because that food is horrible in itself, but creates maybe overindulgence or too much of a good thing. So really, I think my goals coming up will be to pare back on any grains, which I always find are just, they can leave you feeling kind of sluggish or bloated or your energy depleted, but they're kind of a quick, easy thing to have. So, you know, I think I'll be making a few changes with that and then also increasing veggies. One thing I definitely do is when the veggies that are seasonal, and there's only a few early ones that are really seasonal here in Canada, but I try to jump on board with those and make them as much as possible till I'm sick of them because I know that that season is so short. So yeah. Well, I was thinking about that. I had some asparagus, which is a wonderful spring vegetable. I didn't have many ingredients in the fridge. We were almost bare. I like to try to challenge myself to get right down to nothing and it was almost nothing. I had asparagus and I had some fresh organic tomatoes that were hothouse grown but still you know quite flavorful and I had some good quality eggs and I didn't have a lot else so I made a wonderful meal with it and as you know your dad doesn't love asparagus but I make soups all year round even in the summer and I made creamy asparagus soup just very simply with bone broth powder and water and some good fats like olive oil and a little ghee and I had pureed the asparagus into soup And of course, some good salt and a little pinch of cayenne. And your dad said, this is really good soup. (laughs) He didn't ask me what kind. But I think it's the texture of asparagus that bothers some people and when it's pureed into a soup. So this is something you can make in the spring season, another way to enjoy that vegetable. And then we just had, you know, fresh tomatoes and eggs cooked with ghee and olive oil poured on top of the two. And it was really a good easy spring meal that tasted uh, delicious, was light, and was really fast to make. Maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes. 
So did you just take the asparagus, you didn't have any other vegetables, and you mix it with water and bone broth powder and some seasonings, essentially? Yes, yes. Oh. and it still turned out to be really yeah, good. I which was not expect No, I wouldn't have expected it, but that's what I had in the house, and, and I thought, well, let's see what we can do with it. We used the whole bunch of asparagus for just the two of us, and it was delicious. And the other, speaking of soup, you know, a while back in one of our podcasts, we talked about you having an Instapot. I only could imagine what it was like because my mom always cooked with a pressure cooker, and I had had a pressure cooker years ago, didn't use it much, so... I wasn't that interested. However, <laughs> you got me interested. And I think you had a little mishap this morning, which really makes me laugh because I think of you as someone who can go about doing a lot of different tasks without making a lot of errors. But I guess for those of you who know Instapots or things that are like that, there's an inner kind of pot lining that you fill up and then you can remove that to wash it and to serve it or whatever you need to do. But I guess that wasn't in there when you added all your ingredients. (laughs) So I woke up extra early this morning and thought, you know what, I'm going to make some really good soup. So I had used the Instapot yesterday to make two different kinds of broth. And uh, of course, the liner was in the dishwasher. It hadn't been emptied yet. I got the Instapot out and thought, you know what, I'm going to make split pea soup. And I put all those ingredients in, and then I went to add the water, and the water ran right out all over the floor. (laughs) And I realized I didn't have the inner pot in. So now I have some rattling in the base of the Instapot, which is a few stray split peas are caught in there that I can't get out. So I don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, that soup is now cooking on the stove, but it does take a lot longer to soften those split peas. So... In any case, (laughs) you know, getting up early and thinking I'd get ahead of the game set me back a little ways. (laughs) Most people would blame it that they didn't have their morning coffee yet. But I think for you, I do not know what happened. No, I don't drink coffee and I usually am pretty wide awake. So I... I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking, let's get this done quick. I think that's what I was thinking and doing a few things at one time. Let's get to our first topic then. And this one's interesting because I think a lot of people may hear this word and think, oh, is this, was this not like a fad a few years ago? So we want to talk about antioxidants today and and their relevance to us. And I'm thinking about it was kind of a fad, but it isn't a fad because It's important every day and it's as relevant now as it was, you know, 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years ago. We need antioxidants, but there isn't, you know, a ton of concrete data on them, but there is data and they can be misunderstood, but there are some things we do understand about them. So there's a lot of tensions here. And yeah, they did go through kind of a fad where every label was like lots of antioxidants and has antioxidants. And that was the reason you were buying things. But we know that lots of things have antioxidants and it doesn't necessarily mean that's a reason to purchase it or not, but we do need some. So let's get started into, you know, what antioxidants are, etc. So antioxidants are found in mostly plant foods. And so good reason for us to up our plant foods. And I'm thinking particularly fruits and vegetables. Anything that's very colorful is going to have some antioxidants. That includes spices and different kinds of teas as well as fruits and vegetables. But we often think, oh, I had my servings of vegetables. And we tend to eat the same things over and over. We want 
want to make sure we're getting as many different kinds of antioxidants as we can, and certainly many of them have been studied, but not all of them. So it's interesting that a lot of us are eating 20 or 25 different foods and consuming those same foods over and over. And you may think, no, no, I eat more than that. But when you think about the ingredients in a lot of the foods we eat, there's a core set of ingredients that are being repeated over and over. And many of those ingredients have been processed, so they actually don't have antioxidants in them. So an antioxidant is a flavonoid and it has a purpose in controlling oxidation in the body. It comes in the plant pigments. So we find them in vegetables and in fruits. There's lots of them. We also find them in healthy fats and in things like cinnamon and turmeric and ginger and other spices and also in things like rubus tea, that red tea from South Africa or in green tea from Asia and other different kinds of teas. And so these antioxidants are plant components that are actually very, very important to our health. And we tend to take them lightly, I guess you'd say. Importantly, antioxidants aren't a a nutrient necessarily, but a range of substances that the antioxidant is kind of the descriptor for what they do. And it's important to note that these antioxidants are acting to kind of put out fires or stop what we call oxidative stress in the body, which we all deal with to different varying levels. So it's a a neutralizing effect that it has on a harmful reaction that can happen and kind of catapult through the body and create a lot of destruction. A lot of people call it rusting of the body. So like the oxidation of the body and internal organs can be affected and so many things. So it has that effect to kind of neutralize that cascade that can kind of get caught up when based on, you know, our environment or foods that we're eating or our stress levels or even how we digest can all affect how much oxidation we have and therefore how many antioxidants we may need to have in a day to kind of combat that. If we like to think historically, people a long time ago, it's estimated by experts that, for example, in the Stone Age, that people might eat as many as 100 or 150 different foods because they would be eating seasonally, they would be gathering what was available. There were many different kinds of plants that would be available. And we certainly don't get anywhere near that kind of variety today. Even those of us who eat in a healthy way will tend to eat broccoli over and over, onions over and over. Nothing wrong with that, but we aren't extending the boundaries out to different kinds of foods. And it's interesting that a while back I was reading the work of a functional medicine physician who was recommending that we aim to get 200 different plant foods into our diet. So I started making a list of all the different ones I could think of that I had been consuming, and I did get over 100, but I certainly didn't get to 200. What are some foods that you might consume that would be a little bit out of the box to add variety in antioxidants to your family's diet? That's a good question, because I I don't know if I have anything that's crazy out of the box, but I would say that there's things people would eat eat, but maybe not with with a huge amount of frequency. So things like radishes or, I mean, matcha tea is something I love, but I mean, it's, it is a bit of a popular item in the kind of health world, but not mainstream. So that would be a little bit unusual. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I use a lot of fresh herbs when I can, which are super nutrient dense and potent. Um, now, are we talking about just foods in general? Or are we thinking about antioxidant-rich foods? Antioxidant-rich foods, Okay, so yeah. like if we're thinking of antioxidant-rich rich foods, I think of 
things like fresh ginger, turmeric, whether that be fresh or dried. Yeah, the matcha tea hits that uh, bar very well. I was thinking cumin because when we were asked what the spices we use yeah, a lot is cumin. Yeah, that's true. Cumin it's high is very, yeah, apparently very, very high. Of course, I do my share with the very high dark chocolate, <laughs> which everyone's like, yeah, the antioxidants in dark chocolate and wine, which... Yeah, cocoa does have a lot of antioxidants, but we do need to be careful with how we consume it. What else would I have that's high? I mean, any sort of berries, which have rich pigments. Beets is another one that I make. I try to make a regular thing that I eat. I just boiled some yesterday, and I'll probably have them today. So I just boil them for a really long time on the stove, and then the skins kind of slide off, which is something you taught me, Mom, and then... I can slice them up and have a big container of them to go so I can add them to a lunch or they can add them to a dinner and they're extremely rich in pigment, right? So they're they're going to have a lot of antioxidants. Seasonally, I love things like rainbow chard. It's a nice green but has some different colors to it as well and would be high antioxidant. Yeah, I'm sure more will come to mind as we go, but... I was thinking, you know, I've been eating radish leaves and chopping them up and putting them into an omelet or into a soup. Kale stems, again, chopped up fine, and I put them in the freezer in a container, and then if I'm making a soup or something where I'm cooking them a long time, and remember one time I made kale stem pesto for you when you were here and we were doing podcast. Also thinking about any root vegetable and eating their green leaves, if, especially if you're growing them in the garden garden or thinning out the plants, uh, you know, beet greens, kohlrabi greens, any root vegetable, the greens of them can be a good thing. Oh, not potato leaves. Forget that. <laughs> I shouldn't say any, but most. I've also been using a jicama, which I have found really good to eat raw as a crunchy vegetable, sort of sweet. Of course, we both have sorrel growing in the garden right now, and that's a, a green that we don't eat the rest of the year. So those are some things I was thinking about that are adding antioxidants. So adding variety, adding texture, adding bulk to your soups and stews, and also adding antioxidants. So if we try to think about what these plants contain in any vegetable or fruit, there can be as many as 150 different compounds, and many of these are antioxidants, and then there's other things as well. And so estimates from experts are that if we eat a wide range of fruits and vegetables, we could get over 4,000 flavonoids in our diet. So say over the course of a year, if we ate these seasonal varieties of things, and the flavonoids are only one of the many kinds of antioxidants. So we can't capture all of that. And also, all of these different compounds have not necessarily been identified, nor their benefits studied. But down the road, I think that, you know, it will come to light. Oh, there's just like, for example, years ago, lycopene and tomatoes. Oh, that's really a beneficial compound. Well, if we're eating a wide variety of fruits and vegetables... When that research becomes available, we can smile and say, I've already been doing that, and that's benefiting my eyes or my vascular system or whatever it might be that has been discovered. So scientists are looking into lots of different specific antioxidants and what they do, but we only know so much. We don't know the whole. I know they've also looked at antioxidants in coffee, and you'll hear a lot of mixed things, but I think um, if you're a coffee drinker, something that is good to note is that the fresher it makes sense but the fresher the beans so they're roasted fresh and they're kept fresh and then you grind them 
as needed. And then you drink your coffee kind of right away. Apparently has the highest antioxidant level and capacity in it. So just things like that are interesting to note too, because you can kind of get more out of something. For example, peppers are very high in vitamin C. And when you cook them, they do lose some of that vitamin C. So that's a great thing to kind of include in a raw vegetable format. And fermented vegetables, like your sauerkraut, have so much more, let's say we'll pick a nutrient like vitamin C, by far more vitamin C in it. And a lot of the nutrients kind of boom as in that fermentation process. And therefore your antioxidant levels will actually be more in those foods as well. So to kind of get more bang out of your food, there's a, you know, you playing with different types of foods, cooked, raw, fermented. I like your idea of things we don't normally eat. Like I would never think about eating the radish tops. I know I have radishes in my fridge right now that I just bought and I have never ever tried using the tops of them before. I'd be a little nervous too. Oh no, they're delicious. I've used them in many different ways and maybe a little fuzzy. So I usually use them in a cooked application like a soup or like an egg dish. So we just use it like a parsley, like chop it up. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Like an herb, like you would use that. Yeah. Or if you're cooking greens, if you're sautéing some greens, you could add it in with any sautéed greens. And it just adds that tiny little bit of mm, like radish, but not quite so strong. But I think we should talk for a minute about the importance of understanding antioxidants as fighting the oxidants or the oxidation that happens in our bodies. And this is a very important thing to understand because when oxidation happens, it's like it's like a criminal running loose in your house and doing all kinds of damage. Or maybe better would be like a wild animal or running a loose. <laughs> or a toddler. <laughs> running <laughs> loose in your like house, house. Creating destruction. And you have to stop it. And how are you going to stop that destruction, that oxidation, with an antioxidant? So we can think of it as anti-rusting, or we can think of it as like a fire extinguisher, putting out a fire that's burning. And oxidation, once a free radical is set loose, that is an unstable molecule, uh, by many different things, there's a cascade where one unstable molecule can then create dozens more because they're constantly trying to to get themselves balanced that's the balance right. back so they're creating more havoc as they cascade through the body and the body's meant to be able to control that but with modern lifestyles and poor diet quality and you know a lot of processed foods and also exposure to things like smoking, exposure to different kinds of chemical toxins. And of course, we create free radicals just from living, from breathing, from digesting, from all of our metabolic processes, we create free radicals. So you can't avoid creating them. So you must have antioxidants to quell them, to turn them off so they stop wrecking havoc inside your body. And I think of, you know, we love the sun and the sun has so many benefits for our mood and how we feel and we're outside, we're in nature, all the benefits of that. And the fact that we can get our vitamin D, which is enormously important and I'm sure we're going to be discovering more importance of it through the years. Yet people are afraid of that UV damage and they're thinking of skin cancer, which is of course one thing, but there is oxidation that happens when we're exposed to the sun, but there are things that we can do. And antioxidants is a piece of the puzzle that can protect us. I remember, I don't know if it was you, it must've been you or somebody when I was a teen saying like, okay, if you're going in the sun, like don't go to the beach and eat a big 
pile of greasy french fries like those bad fats combined with being in the sun and all that oxidation is creating a lot of havoc for your body and that's always stuck with me because I'm thinking okay what can we do when we're out in the sun to kind of protect us and help us to have this resistance to that UV damage when we're not you know wanting to slather tons of sunscreen on or even you know we don't want to use that chemical sunscreen and we don't know that sunscreen actually protects us from the oxidation that happens I think one of the the things we really need to be aware of with the sun we always think that sunscreen is going to protect us and of course we've talked about some of the dangers of chemical sunscreens and sunscreens in general we need to be getting the nourishment from the sun and one of the dangerous things is damaged fats being damaged further by the oxidation that happens when we're out in the sun. So this is a problem in our everyday life, the wrong kind of fats creating free radical damage, and then you add the sun to that, and that makes it even worse. And so we just we need to really clean up the kinds of fats we have, and we also need to be aware that polyunsaturated fats are able to be damaged. So we need to keep the amount that we have of those reasonable, along with lots of antioxidants to help keep them protected so that we don't get damage from the sun. And we don't want to be, like you say, eating fried foods and damaged fats and being out in the sun. It's a bad combination, and we never think about that. So the sun creates lipid peroxides, and these are extra potent oxidative damage to your body. And every cell membrane is made of fats, so every cell has fats in the lipid layer on the outside of the cell. And if that's made of the wrong kind of fats, the damaged fats, and you don't have antioxidant protection, both those things are individually a problem, and together it's even more of a problem. And a third thing I want to say about the sun is that we need to have lots of antioxidants. And one tool, if you're going to be out in the sun a lot, of course, we've talked about getting a gentle tan, and that's one of your best natural sunscreens over time, is supplementally using alpha-lipoic acid because it can pinch hit for key antioxidants in the body, such as vitamin C and vitamin E. So it can take the place of and also recycle the antioxidants to keep your antioxidants high. But mostly it's got to come from our food. That's the most important thing. I wanted to mention when we're talking about this as well about glutathione. So glutathione is extremely important to protect your body. And this is something that is made within. So most of our antioxidants can come from all of our vegetables and fruits, but glutathione has to come from within and we make this. So in order to make that, we need to have sulfur-containing amino acids. And glutathione being the most abundant antioxidant in the body, it's made from three different amino acids, especially cysteine, which is a sulfur-containing amino acid. So we do well to eat foods that contain it, such as fish, poultry, and eggs, because they will help us make glutathione. And also making sure we get enough selenium. And this is an important mineral that you can find in meat and egg yolks and seafood. And also in things like garlic, onions, and broccoli, if they're grown on selenium-rich soil. And another thing that avoiding damaged fats will do is help you make more glutathione. So it's really important that we support the body with good nutrition, not just to get the antioxidants, but to allow our body to make this very important antioxidant that will protect us. 
and we can't take a supplement of glutathione. It won't raise our glutathione. We have to do that with our diet and our lifestyle mainly. But let's talk about supplements for a moment because sometimes people think, well, I can just take a supplement. What do you think about that in terms of antioxidants? Well, there's a whole bunch out there. And as we've talked about some of the nutrients, for example, vitamin C, it's not only vitamin C as a, a nutrient, it has an important role, but it is also an antioxidant. And so there's a lot of things like that out there. So yes, sometimes those those types of supplements can be really helpful and they have dual purpose to them. But other times we want to be cautious to just think, oh, we're fine. You know, we're taking a supplement that's antioxidants and it's not broad spectrum enough. We're not considering the whole picture and the fact that we need a plethora of them. Because if you name a whole bunch of nutrients, like you've got your selenium, your vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, to name a few, you've got things like CoQ10 and you have things like alpha lipoic acid, all these different compounds, even compounds in, in your cruciferous vegetables, the sulfur compounds in there, sulforaphane and so on, those are also antioxidants. So if we're just taking a supplement of one or two, or even just like we think it's a lot because there's five different ones in there, and we just take it and take it and take it, we're limiting our, our protection to those few rather than getting this variety that's important. So although I think it's great, and like I think of of supplements like coenzyme Q10, which has cardiovascular benefits to it and energy benefits to it that also acts as an antioxidant. That's a great thing. Or things like a good quality vitamin E, which has a lot of other benefits to it as well, but still has that antioxidant side to it. I think of things like green supplements, which are, you know, concentrated green foods. Well, that also has hugely high antioxidants, but has minerals and other factors too. So I think when we're looking for antioxidants, antioxidant supplements, we want to look and be smart about it and think, okay, does this have, you know, lots of purpose to it? And are we limiting ourselves to just thinking we're covered when we're having, you know, one thing? Good advice. That's good. So one thing, I mean, we want to consider too, is that the whole family needs the antioxidants. So an idea I have, you know, we're in the sun, kids love, you know, cold foods like freezies and popsicles, these sorts of things. And we have one of those, I think it's called Zoku, those you know, instant popsicles that you can keep the, you know, the base in the freezer and you can make popsicles on the go. And it's a great way to get a little bit more nutrients into your kids by making kind of fun popsicles. So thinking of using like berries and using some green foods like spinach or even a greens powder that's fine for kids. Or, you know, maybe you want to use some turmeric to make some fun colors and you can make these antioxidant pops and kind of boost the antioxidants for your kids. Just an idea. It's not going to cover all the bases, especially for an adult with more oxidative stress, but a good fun way to include or even just be mindful of some of these antioxidants on those hot, sunny summer days. All right, let's leave it there. And we'll be back with more of the Honest to Goodness podcast right after this. This episode of Honest to Goodness is brought to you by New Roots Herbal, a proudly Canadian company providing quality probiotics for over 30 years. New Roots Herbal probiotics are delivered in natural enteric-coated vegetable capsules that make sure the probiotics survive harsh stomach acids and arrive alive in the intestines, exactly what you want. New Roots probiotics are refrigerated to protect the life and therapeutic effects of a broad range of beneficial strains. 
From daily care to specialty formulas, such as travel probiotics, IBS probiotics, intensity probiotics, and recovery probiotics, along with the children's probiotic, there's a New Roots Herbal Probiotic formula that's right for you. You can trust New Roots Probiotics. They have the experience and the integrity, and they're proudly Canadian. And all of these formulas are available at Goodness Me Natural Food Market for your convenience. And don't forget to speak to our knowledgeable staff about which one might be right for you. Welcome back to Honest to Goodness. In our second segment, we answer questions from our listeners and offer some advice from our experience. You can send your inquiries to questions at goodnessme.ca. What are questions for today, Mom? So Hannah asks, Hi, Janet and Emily. I've done my research on traditional deodorants and antiperspirants, and I want to make the switch to a natural option. Are there any brands that you could recommend? Well, I've tried a lot of brands. There are a lot of newer ones I haven't tried yet, but I've definitely tried, you know, over 20 different brands minimum. That would be maybe not exaggerating. And I've definitely experienced some that work extremely well and some that I didn't ever really finish. (laughs) So I'm sure lots of people have been there if they're trying to make that transition. Because the thing is, when you have an antiperspirant, you're actually limiting that ability to sweat, which is going to limit the amount of odor you can potentially have. But when you're using a deodorant, you're really relying on just a few methods to kind of keep that bacteria under control because it's really that bacteria that off gases and creates these bad smells. So we have to get really creative with some of the products. Now, there's kind of two categories I think of when it comes to deodorants, natural deodorants. And one is your heavy duty kind of worker deodorants, which is probably what most people think they want. And they often contain things like baking soda. They would contain things like clay and they work really, really well to stop odor. And they, you know, they'll have other things in there too, along with usually some sort of essential oil fragrance or natural fragrance to smell nice. And those ones work really, really well for people. I find, you know, people have gone through a whole bunch of different deodorants. will find those are the ones that eventually work. But what I have found on the other side of that is sometimes people can find the ongoing use of baking soda irritating and mostly because baking soda is extremely alkaline and the skin is very acidic, not very acidic, but more acidic. And so I think it can create a little pH imbalance and some people find, oh, I'm like feeling like more sensitive or a slight irritation. And they'll think, but this is natural and like look at the ingredients and they'll be confused by that. And sometimes it's just the baking soda. So then in that case, you could go with like a clay-based one, and that can also work similarly to the baking soda, or even magnesium is a new thing that they're adding to different deodorants. So those would be your kind of more hardworking ones. And then you have some other ones which are free of like baking soda and clay, so they're not as like creamy and thick. They go on more clear, and I find these ones work really well, certain brands of them anyways. I've you know, use the green beaver one, which they did update the formula more recently. And I find that one really effective. I also love the Walita one, which is actually a spray. And I find that one very nice as well. And they, some people though say, oh, it's not quite enough for me. So you have to kind of play around, but I do find things like the green beaver and the Walita extremely gentle, great for extremely sensitive skin. And for me, for every day, those ones work really well, but I tend to have a couple different deodorants on hand. So my favorite kind of 
baking soda or clay-based ones. I have a few brands I like. I love the Routine, which is a cream deodorant, which are becoming more popular. It's definitely a higher price point, but the smells are awesome. They're very creative. They're amazingly formulated and they do work really, really well. And they have both baking soda free and ones with baking soda and they work well if you don't mind a bit of a higher price point. And then the Schmidt's, which also has the baking soda in it. And that one works really, really well too. And a more local brand, Penny Lane, which was my first experience with some of those baking soda based with the coconut oil and such. And and I really love their patchouli sandalwood one, if you like earthy scents. And they also last forever, those ones. I mean, I feel like the, the Penny Lane lasts like six to nine months, like a stick of it. So, you know, some of them will last a little longer than others too. So keep that in mind when you're looking at the price tag. But yeah, you do have to kind of play around a little bit, but I do find all those brands great. And we'll link up those in the podcast notes if you want to see a visual or have a look at the ingredients. Wow, I'm impressed with all the different kinds of deodorants you've tried and also with your expertise and understanding when which ones work best. When you're desperate, when you're desperate. Well, that's oh. awesome. I'm sure that uh, Hannah will find that to be really good advice. Christina asks, Now that grilling season is here, I've been using my barbecue much more often, as I think we all have. A lot of recipes that I have been following call for putting oil on my meat prior to cooking or putting oil on my grill. Is this right? Should I be putting oil on my grill slash meat? And if so, which oil? Thank you. Well, it sounds like she maybe is following different recipes for a marinade. But yeah, some people do say like spray your grill down with like anti-stick, whatever that stuff is. But yeah, there's definitely better options. One thing that is really important is we need to think about kind of fats we can use when we're heating them up. And the safest ones for heating are your saturated fats. So you could brush on the coconut butter ghee that comes in a liquid form. It hasn't got much taste. It's safe for high heat cooking. And you could use that. But I often think about, Emily, your husband taught me how to make steak because he was, he's awesome at cooking steak, and I was not. And what he does is cooks the steak, then rests it with olive oil on top. So after he takes it off the grill, puts it on a plate, adds a little olive oil, covers it up, and lets it rest for five minutes or a little bit longer before slicing. And that's something I like to do. Now, many people will use olive oil to brush on things that are going to be grilled. And that's better than a polyunsaturated fat because it's a monounsaturated, so it has less places, less spots that can be damaged by heat, light, or oxygen. But if we're using extra virgin olive oil, it's being processed at 32 degrees centigrade or less. So we really shouldn't be heating it up so high because that will damage the antioxidants and polyphenols that are in the olive oil. So better in my opinion, to if you must put some oil on the outside to use a saturated fat or to put the oil on after you take it off the grill. Yeah, and I, I, I do sometimes have marinated meats or marinated you know, veggies even or whatnot. So I will use either a slightly refined coconut oil that has no flavor to it. Oh, yes, that's a good option too. Mm-hmm. Or I will use avocado oil as well that's been slightly refined so that the waxes and stuff are not in there, that it has a a higher smoke point. But yeah, we we don't have to do it for everything. I don't think we've ever oiled the 
grills, but we've definitely used it in different marinades and such. And that would be kind of the application. But those would be the two oils I would pick from my cupboard to use when I'm using for high heat. So. Right. And if you have any questions about health and wellness or you've found an interesting topic to share with us, send us an email at questions at goodnessme.ca. That's questions at goodnessme.ca. Now, last segment, what's for dinner, Emily? Well, I was thinking with all this talk of barbecue and more seasonal stuff, etc., why don't I link up in the notes details on kind of how to put together a healthy grain-free barbecue type thing. So I was thinking, you know, some of the things are simple. I mean, you know, but it's something we do a lot if we're hosting or we're making a special kind of meal. We'll barbecue a whole bunch of different things and outside of the box. So we're not just making hamburgers and hot dogs. We're making kind of more gourmet, delicious things. So I'll talk about that, but I'm going to include things for barbecuing peppers and and onions and mushrooms and not necessarily in foil packets or on one of those kind of saute baskets a different way and some of our favorite marinades or oils and, and sauces and vinegars to use on those so um, I'm you know what's coming to mind is is things like the avocado oil or things like balsamic vinegar using our certain spice mix for steaks for a dry rub for steaks our favorite way to do the mushrooms so that they just are mouth-watering and then kind of how to pair that with some fresh maybe antioxidant friendly things. Hey, your family knows how to do that because I have enjoyed the benefits. So thanks for sharing all those tips. I know that that will be very helpful for people. So that should do it for this week's episode. Thank you for joining Emily and I this week and we'll see you next time on Honest to Goodness. This episode of Honest to Goodness is brought to you by New Roots Herbal, a proudly Canadian company providing quality probiotics for over 30 years. New Roots Herbal Probiotics are delivered in natural enteric-coated vegetable capsules that make sure the probiotics survive harsh stomach acids and arrive alive in the intestines, exactly what you want. New Roots Probiotics are refrigerated to protect the life and therapeutic effects of a broad range of beneficial strains. From daily care to specialty formulas, such as travel probiotics, IBS probiotics, intensity probiotics, and recovery probiotics, along with the children's probiotic, there's a New Roots Herbal Probiotic formula that's right for you. You can trust New Roots Probiotics. They have the experience and the integrity and they're proudly Canadian. And all of these formulas are available at Goodness Me Natural Food Market for your convenience. And don't forget to speak to our knowledgeable staff about which one might be right for you.